This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Hello and welcome to the third Points of View podcast for the 2015-16 season, presented by the National Arts Center English Theatre and coming to you from the Salon of Canada's National Arts Center in Ottawa. I'm Sean Fitzpatrick. One, two, three, and... Welcome to the Points of View podcast for the NAC English Theatre's 2015-16 season. In each episode, you will learn about English Theatre productions through an encounter with NAC English Theatre and two special guests offering unique perspectives on the piece. In this point of view, around the production of Anne and Gilbert the Musical, Artistic Director Gillian Kiley hosts a discussion with Anne and Gilbert co-composer and lyricist Nancy White and Campbell Webster, original producer of Anne and Gilbert, about the evolution of this Canadian musical and the enduring appeal of Anne Shirley of Avonlea. English Theatre's production of Anne and Gilbert the Musical ran in the NAC Theatre December 1st to the 23rd. For more information about the production of Anne and Gilbert the Musical, please visit nac-cna.ca. Click on English Theatre. And now, here are Jillian Callie, Nancy White, and Campbell Webster. Nancy White describes herself as the third writer because Bob and Jeff had dreamed up and started on the project before deciding her to bring her in. Uh, she is a PE Islander and a fast songwriter with a decent rhyming dictionary, so she was a good fit. Um, <laughs> there are lots of strong female characters in Anne and Gilbert, and there are four duets for women. And although it must be said that some of the truest teenage girl lyrics in the show were written by the guys, uh, these girls look like Labradors, are Nancy, is Nancy's favorite. Uh, she spent a lifetime as a performer, beginning with character roles in musicals at Dalhousie. And in the show, um, Dalhousie is in, is in the play, but they call it Redmond University. So that's just a little thing to know. Um, and uh, uh, she was in all kinds of reviews, uh, singing at festivals and clubs and school theater tours, which are always stories. Tours? Did you say tours? Yeah. You did. Yeah. You know. I'm a Newfoundlander. Okay, so uh, in 1976, she found her perfect job as a writer and singer of topical songs for the CBC Radio Public Affairs show Sunday Morning. Uh, she did this for 15 years and earned three actor awards, nice press, and lots of spin-off work. Uh, she's open for George Carlin and Don Rickles. Uh, she once sang a duet with Cookie Monster. You see? Come on. Um, <laughs> She worked for years and years with the piano player Doug Wilde, with whom she has two daughters, uh, the singer Susie and Maddie Wilde. And later she began doing shows with the Anne and Gilbert composer Bob Johnston, whose onstage wit was as brilliant as his keyboard playing, I hear. Uh, really. <laughs> one memorable gig, gig for them was actually here at the NAC uh, with Double Exposure, if you remember Double Exposure. Uh, these days, she's right. working on songs for Robin Craig's new play, The Two Horsewomen. And Robin Craig is in the play. She plays Mrs. Lind, a very gruff Mrs. Lind. And uh, she was a reporter for the Charlottetown Guardian Patriot when the original uh, Haran Campbell, Anne of Green Gables, was produced. 
And Nancy wrote the first review of the first Anne of Green Gables. I did. Now, <laughs> I want I'd to like to that. thank God. Yes, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, let's start with Nancy. Uh, Nancy, what kind of review did you give for the production? For that, well, I, I, it doesn't stick with me that much. I do remember I, I said the deathless words, I think it's destined for great things. <laughs> <laughs> and we were very excited because this was a musical about, about our place and our people and uh, fictional characters, but they're real to us, as you know. And so it was thrilling to see that show in the first place, to even see it. It was really well done. It was, and it was hilarious because most of the cast were people who had been in Spring Thaw, the, uh, the review that had circled the country. So Barbara Hamilton, people like that, were playing these very serious characters. It was great. Yeah, so I liked it. Yeah, good. Yeah. And so in PEI, are, are people like uh, very... Uh, when you say the characters are real for us, is Anne real for the people of PEI? It's yeah. in everything, yeah? Sure, Jillian. <laughs> well, in, in, I know what you mean. Like, in, in, in a way, they are. It, it is because they are, because they've been around for 100 years, and there's so much discussion and examination of the characters. Many people in your own lives you don't examine as much as you do fictional characters that are great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's another part to that, which is real and happens every year at the uh, Tourism Information Center, and that is there are hundreds, if not close to thousands of people who ask where they could visit Anne of Green Gables Cemetery. Uh-huh. Oh. Right, right. And so for, on the outside... It's a project for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, a little, you know, five <laughs> bucks a visit, park. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Green Gables house exists. So, there, you know, there is a real house. Mm-hmm. That's right. And but so that makes it more real. But she right? didn't live in that one. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's many places you can visit. I, when I said they're real, they're real to me now because she's been so much a part of my yeah. life. But... Um, on PEI, there was a time when people were just getting sick of it. Remember, she was on the license plates? Yeah. And there were all people just stop, make it stop. And in fact, when Bob and Jeff called me about this, I thought, oh, really? Oh, another Anna Green Gables musical. I, and I was listening to, particularly to, to Cabaret and, and um, Chicago at that time. They were my favorite things to listen to. And I was like, could we not work on something with a little edge and, you know, <laughs> suspense? However... Uh, you can't say no to a gig, so I did it. And I, you know. Well, she put edge and suspense in Anne of Green Gables. Yes. You yes. will see. Will oh, true. yes, the suspense. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Who's uh, going to win her hand? Was, um, yeah. Tell us about the collaboration with the two other composer and lyricists on the project, and how much were you in each other's company, and who was the lead? Well, of course, I was the lead. No, uh-huh. I'm kidding. Naturally. <laughs> It's, it started with Jeff Hawkhauser, and Jeff is, is from New York, and he and Bob Johnson had met at a New York University um, songwriting course in the summer. People were paired off and, and tried to write musicals together, and they had written a couple of other ones. They wrote one called Theda Barra and the Frontier Rabbis, a good show, and <laughs> they started to write one about the, uh, based on Stephen King's Misery, and they got half of it written, and they thought, well, we should, uh, maybe we should get permission for this. And they could never even get through to him to get the permission, so they just had to shelve it. It was very sad. So um, anyway, they started on this. Jeff saw Jeff was on PEI, and he saw Anne Green Gables, and he liked it, and he thought, he, he went and read the next two books, and he thought, aha, maybe there's another musical in this. And he called Bob, and they started. And then um, they had written um, Mr. Blythe, mm-hmm. and I think they had a song called Moody Gets Moody, which fortunately... Didn't, didn't fell didn't, off the turnip truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think they decided to call in me because well, Bob had worked with me 
um, as a performer, and we had we kind of written a musical together before, and and uh, so he suggested to Bob that they bring me in, particularly because um, because of being from PEI, I, I I know how to say firm instead of farm, and um, there's certain tour. expressions that are in it. Tour, we don't get no one goes on tour in this show. It's no fun. <laughs> My daughter Maddie went on tour with with um, with a maritime band for a while, and she came home saying tour, and she didn't know she said it on tour. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so they asked me to try it. Now the process, uh, it worked a lot of different ways. Jeff wrote the book, so he had maybe half of it written. So I got a copy of that, and he would suggest places where it would be good to have a song, and then sometimes a song would occur to me. I write about half the songs in the book in the show because I'm not very good at collaborating, and I just don't know how that works. I mean, oh, it's so inefficient. But those two guys know how to collaborate on songs. <laughs> so they wrote the other half, and there were a few that we did together, um, Carried Away by Love, for instance. Bob had the tune all written. It's the, it's the big waltz in 4-5 time, which is tricky. And he, he gave the tune to me, and they, he had the title, and maybe Jeff made the title up. I'm not sure. They claim that we all wrote it together. but uh, So I had to to Fitness. shove lyrics into the, that very odd time signature. So there's a few missing prepositions if you look at the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> had to, the English, English is a hard language to write in. The process, some, Bob would often go down to New York and write with Jeff, or Jeff would occasionally come to Toronto. Bob and I, we were, we were emailing a lot and phoning a lot, and um, uh, we just kind of got her done. How long know? did it take to write it? Well, that's like, how long is this piece of string? I mean, because... We, I could tell you how long it took for us to get to the first draft. Yeah. Oh, no, I couldn't really. We started working on it in 1995. And I guess probably we started workshopping. We did workshops where the three of us <clears throat> did all the parts and, and, and read from the script. I, I did most of the women's parts. Jeff always wanted to do Mrs. Lind. You know, <laughs> so fine. It's like, it's like Lady Bracknell, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Always a man doing yeah, Lady yeah. Bracknell. It's so annoying. Um, <laughs> not that I could do it. I'm not an actress, but there's so few parts for, for uh, you know, older women actresses. So um, I'm babbling on. I, I usually interrupted by now, so I never learned to finish a sentence working with those boys. Those boys are, Jeff is very manic and Bob is kind of calm. And um, we just, I don't know, we worked. Uh, Jonah Day was a big number. I essentially wrote the tune. That's when the song they sing before she... I don't like spoiler alert. She, she does something mean to a child. I'm not gonna, I can say so. That sounds worse. Um, <laughs> it's in the book. So if you read the book, it's, it's okay. It's a song it's where she's angry. Yeah, it's in the books. Angry. Oh, we should go on to the next question. We can go to the next question. What's your favorite song, Nancy? Oh, so that's the worst question. Because that's you the see, worst. as an islander, I cannot choose one of the ones that I wrote. I can't. It's not right. Okay, which so which, if uh, you had to suggest a song, if I was going to listen to one song. Yeah that you thought, you should listen to this and it'll give you a nice uh, notion about whether you should buy the show or not, which I already did. But let's say <laughs> no. that you said, Jill, I want to sell you the show. What would you, uh, what would you suggest I listen to? <sighs> it is one of the ones you wrote, isn't it? No, no I wasn't <laughs> thinking of that. I've been thinking about this question for a couple of days, and there's songs, there's songs that I like because of the performance uh -huh, in uh -huh. certain shows. For instance, last night, May I Offer My Umbrella, mm. which I wrote. Mm. It was totally my favorite song. He was, his yeah. performance was so good. spectacular. He's hilarious. He's from uh, Ottawa. Oh, is the, he? The fellow who plays... Charles? Uh, Charles Douglas. He's, yeah. he's from here. Is and, he? Wow. Oh, what a singer. hilarious. Heaven. Yeah. Heaven. He plays Roy. Yeah. Uh, and he shows the up rival. with his umbrella. You'll see. Mm -hmm. 
But I always liked that, so I always thought that was one of my, one of my better efforts. But it never, it just kind of ends, and they walk off, and eh, it doesn't get a big round he of found, applause he, ever. He found a whole lot of, he and Lisa, the music director, yeah. and, and Martha, and yes. Brittany, that yeah. it's all always collaborative, and <clears throat> the units can get bigger and bigger working on almost anything, mm-hmm. even a costume piece. But uh, they just found a whole lot of new stuff in it that was already there and already yeah. earned. There's a line in that song, if you haven't seen it yet, that where the, he, he says, uh, may I have this dance? Never in any other production have we done before. Did they actually dance? And all of a sudden, <laughs> it was like, no. no. They danced in Victoria. They danced lots of times, but About, not like not this. Not like that. No, not like not this that went on a big extended thing. There was a little tiny yeah. you know, couple of moves or something, but yeah, they actually yeah. had a dance. Yeah. And so it opens up this whole possibility in that, uh, in, in that moment to mm-hmm. see an actual relationship develop through mm-hmm. a number of moves mm-hmm. or the beginning of one. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, so yeah. Yeah. So the, in, in that moment, and we watch that show, we go, wow, that song is incredible. Yeah. yeah. But another day, it could be fall to fourth place if you're ranking them, you know. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, the umbrella song is not on the CD, for instance. Yeah. Didn't make it to uh, the yeah. finals, you know. So, um, well, I like I like Hothouse Flowers. I like really liked um, that little fiddle player last night. Yeah, that was really yeah. great. And I wrote I wrote that one. The She's guys, um, yeah. this is Amanda LeBlanc, who's from Nova Scotia. LeBlanc, yeah, yeah. We, who um, she's from Nova Scotia, and uh, and no nowhere near where Anne is actually from, because Anne Anne of Green Gables is not from PEI. She's from Nova Scotia. Yeah, she's from away Bolingbrook. Yeah. Bolingbrook. We must talk about Bolingbrook because in your production. We all say Bolingbrook. Oh, I don't. Some know. of the actors are saying Bolingbrook. The next person who's on says Bolingbrook. Okay. I think. But Let me give the stage manager a note. Yes, I'm not allowed to tell okay. anybody these things, but you know, <laughs> it's Bolingbrook. <laughs> Bolingbrook. Okay. See, that's what we've called it from the very beginning. Okay. So, and um, there's other things, little picky. I'm the picky. I'm the picky person in, when looking at stuff like that. But um, oh. she wrote an entire album entitled "Stickers on Fruit," and it was a protest album. Well, it so was. That gives you an idea. No, it was not. <laughs> you see, these how rumors get started. Yeah. Um, so when the characters sing "Your Island Through and Through," mm-hmm. it offers such a sense of belonging. Uh, is this something you can specifically relate to? Do you go home all the time? Are you island through and through? I, I think of myself as a person who had to leave because I was not friendly enough to stay there. No, <laughs> I just, I just like that. Hi, how are you? Like if you're in Toronto, you don't know people, and it gives you more privacy. It's odd, but uh, your island through and through. I mean, it's really a bit of people. Of I love that song, and it's not very flattering. They don't know. They can't what? Well, no, it's true. They don't know. So you, the, the song. I mean, there's, there's cute things in it, but then it comes to um, if um, if you think the man who thinks he's special is a fool, and someone too ambitious <laughs> will taste your ridicule. If you don't believe in giving praise till praise is overdue, you're island through and through. See, I don't think those are flattering things. They are not. And they're true, and that's what it's like. And, and, no, that's true. And yeah. t- to give you a, a compliment, uh, well, by way of a story, Nick Campbell, who's a direct descendant of Lucy Mom Montgomery and a buddy of mine, I play squash with him and he owns the Anninger and Gable store, so he's, he's right involved in the, in the Ann world. And he plays the CD all the time in the, in the Anna Green Gables store because it helps sell Anna Green Gables product. And as, listening to it over and over again, this ninth generation Islander from the country, he came to me one day and we were playing squash and he said, she thinks we're assholes. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of them. No, I know. Because I know. I'm from there. But, and, but, <laughs> it's, uh, and, but it's also an admiration or a compliment or an awareness that there's a bucolic or a 
charmingness to somebody who really believes that Montreal is a better choice than Moncton or than uh, Montague. Montague. Yeah. And uh, and because there's a line, if you say no to Montreal and yes to Montague, your island, your <laughs> island through and through. And 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 but there's something beautiful about that too, if you really believe that. But then there are other people who go, I think we just got called very pro- parochial. <laughs> and and I always thought that this was Nancy's one of Nancy's great abilities as a writer is to do what W.O. Mitchell used to say, is that the, some of the best comedy is complaining politely. And, <laughs> and, uh, and to speak a little bit of your, tiny bit of your personal life, uh, Nancy's relationship to the island, I always thought was best described when she told me one day, uh, I knew it was time to leave when there was only one interesting person on the island and friends of mine would note if I ever wore colorful clothing that I looked different. <laughs> different, <laughs> different. That's different. Yeah. <laughs> Our Peter Dywick, who was the first. Oh, I'm going to show you him. Our first Gilbert. I'm celebrating him. This is Peter Dywick, and and uh, on a Mar- shirt. Marla McLean. I got oh, one yeah. of those shirts made for you, and you never I- wear it. Anyway. Outside. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he came out of the, the. It was first on the Victoria Playhouse, Victoria by the CPEI, his most charming charming theater ever and there was a rumor that Lucy Maud might have she would go around and read poetry and give speeches and she may have played at that very place but anyway the show was going really well and one night it's ending and there's a big standing ovation at Full House and and um, Peter wanders outside afterwards and hears a couple of people talking about the show and um, one guy says well that was something <laughs> well, the PEI reviews. We talk about the PEI reviews, not just like PEI, but what the hell? Who's going to know? But the reviews would off, are often, um, yeah, so I didn't think I was going to like this show very much. And I got in my Chevy and I drove up to Summerside. And the way I stopped at Hunter River, and I think, in a musicals, what do I think about musicals? And then I get there and you walk into the lobby and you see this thing. And this guy, who was a professional reviewer, and he reviewed it every year, he would. <laughs> He went to the canteen, he described, he gave the labels, the brands of the chocolate bars that were sold in the lobby, and at the end of the review, about two-thirds down, he started talking about the actual play, and he never mentioned the names of the writers either, so I thought, Cadbury's had a better day than me. <laughs> but there's often that thing of, well, this grudging admitting that you, you liked a musical, it's really, it's really strange. I know we're digressing a bit here, but I will, I will give you the, the great one that Nancy told me one time, who had a you know a very good career going across Canada and playing to huge halls and soft seaters during the Sunday uh, the Sunday morning days, and um, but when she came home to Prince Edward Island, which is uh, you know just a quieter audience that you'll hear people say you were so funny, uh, I almost laughed out loud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that Presbyterian thing. The review the next day, I think you can tell me if it's exactly right of uh, one of those concerts because Nancy had a, a esteemed uh, political accomplished father, a deputy minister of highways, the first line in the review said Nancy White gave a concert. Nancy White, the daughter of the former former deputy minister of highways of Prince Edward Island, gave a concert last night. Yeah. So began the review. Island native. Yeah, yeah. It's the island native thing. Anyway. Nice. Yeah. Anyway. Well, thank you, Nancy. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you, Mr. Campbell, for helping me out. With I'm going to introduce you to Mr. Campbell Webster. Uh, who has produced uh, the previous productions of Anne and Gilbert from 2005 to 2009 while licensing its various other Canadian productions. In, um, in 1988, he founded Campbell Webster Entertainment, which managed various artists, including Lenny Gallant, Nancy White, and John Southworth. 
As a founding director of the East Coast Music Association, an event he chaired for three years, uh, he created many of its signature events, including uh, Radio ECMA and the 72-Hour Jam. His television production career includes two Gemini nominations and credits as a producer on the lifestyle series My Messy Bedroom and the animated CBC series Yet I Blame Hollywood. His management company also runs the CW Foundation, a charitable foundation devo devoted to social justice in Atlantic Canada and Latin America. Campbell. Yes. Uh, what, so how did you get involved with Anne and Gilbert? It was not your idea at the beginning. It was so much not my idea. Um, the, uh, because I was Nancy's manager and we were friends and they had this idea, they would bring me this script from time to time in two, as early as 2000 and um, musical. And so I trotted it over to the Confed Center as a favor and used what I knew to talk, talk to people over there and said, you should take a look at this. And, but for me, my interest even at that point... I have to go, sort of go back a bit. I, I went to studied uh, at the National Theatre School of Canada and then at an undergraduate degree at uh, Queen's University in Drama. But at the National Theatre School, I think still to this day, uh, there's not much interest in musical theatre. Or to be fair, there's even a hostility in some quarters or a, uh, a dismissiveness of it. So that if you want to be a serious actor at the National Theatre School of Canada or a playwright, musical theatre is kind of garbage or kind of thin. And that can be what you can sort of get out of that. And so I absorbed or maybe put a little bit of that own pretentious uh, approach to musical theater in my own soul. And then beyond that, when I worked in the summers in Prince Edward Island, I would go watch Andy Green Gables the musical because I worked as a tour guide at the Confederation Center. And a, a slow little flower started to bloom inside me. I didn't even realize it as I was watching this. I got this, the soundtrack, the cassette tape of that, and I'd go back to National Theatre School, and I'd find in the wintertime when things were bleak and slushy Montreal, big contrast to P.I., uh, I'd be like listening to, There is a golden summer waiting for you. <laughs> and I can see those moments in this basement apartment. I still maintain my outward disinterest and hostility towards this, and even, you know, not knowing the play i mean I, I read it but i didn't understand it and i hadn't heard the music um and i didn't wasn't really tuned into musicals plus it seemed like it was possibly just drafting on somebody else's success plus it was probably just like uh you know saccharine kissy face stuff just trying to kind of get something out of an old franchise and so all in all i was ignorant of it uh pretentious of it uh superior to it and uh, and really not that interested, but because Nancy was my friend, <laughs> and Nancy was my friend, and I believed in Nancy, uh, I would bring the script over there. And then finally, through these, how these funny things happened, a guy named Michael Fletcher was handed uh, a stack of scripts that they had not been reading at the Confederation Center for a decade. And finally, somebody thought, okay, let's correct this situation. We're getting submitted scripts here. We're a national institution. These scripts should be read. So they handed them out to different actors, and they said, and Michael Fletcher got handed his pile. He said, you go, go through them. We're going to do some day readings, mm -hmm. just one day reading. And so Michael Fletcher, who told us afterwards, he said, oh, I got, oh, I got that one, Anne and Gilbert. Because it's preconceptions, right? Uh, it was my pre preconception. It's your preconception. Sure. Sure. And I know, I'm even, I, I, I watched your press conference. I know you were a little surprised when you first saw it, too, right? And it's nobody's fault. It's just these things that live in society, you know, sequels. Uh, cynical ideas for our bad sequels. Mm -hmm. We're tired of Anne, and, or the commercialization of Anne. All these things. We had done a we had done a music uh, um, a workshop at, at the Mackenzie Building several years before that one. 
just Bob and Jeff and I, and Don Heron and, and uh, Norman were there, and you were there, I'm pretty sure. But, but it, nothing came of it. But I was were, there. I was. Yeah, there. you were for sure there. But that was only three people. Yeah, and three and I non. I still non, couldn't see it. Non dancers. Yeah. But then yeah. what happened? What happened with Michael Fletcher? Well, what happened with Michael Fletcher was he said, mm-hmm. he read it and goes, "Hey, wait a second, this is fantastic." Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a play mm-hmm. reading, which many major theaters do, just to explore a new play. And we all hustled in with my business partner David Malhoff. We all hustled into uh, the studio, lecture theaters is called then. And over two hours, they sat in chairs and, you know, one piano and, and actors from the Confederation Center Company. So you got some mm-hmm. good, good Robin, talented Robin people Kirk there. Craig was in it. She was yeah, <laughs> and Heidi Ford. And, and, yeah. uh, and I sat there. And, you know, I still was the guy, the, the snobby guy towards musicals, you know, and, and all those things, right? And, and I sat there and watched it. And then David Maloff and I walked back to our office, which is four blocks away. We're one block along. I said... Fine, we'll do it, and 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 it will be great. And uh, so you opened up across the street. No, first we opened up in, in Victoria. Oh, right, yeah, okay. In, in, a, in a little uh, great summer theater, still operating okay. now, thirty-six years. We opened up there uh, one week after my wife and I got married on the same stage. Actually, oh my god, <laughs> two big events on that stage that summer for me, anyway. <laughs> and uh, so. So that was that, and then we went looking for a bigger stage, and we're still talking Confed Center. They weren't interested. The Guild didn't really exist yet as something that could do that. Summerside Theater for six years, and and lots of lots of work along the way. But but we we got it up on stage, and, and our original idea was that this was I would distill it when talking. I probably said this to you. I'd distill it down to this uh, simple phrase: This is a brilliant application of a powerful brand name, and. And the means test, I spent a lot of time studying theater. I worked in the theater. The means test that I was trusting myself was, I'm supposed to hate this, and I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so that, that's the, the beginning of it. And we, we go around, we get the money, and we, we did some interesting things. We went around to, um, some of my own money, but we went around to like leading somewhat stuffy business guys that I know. Uh, in Charlottetown, but super rich guys like Fred Hyman, who was a, a great friend of Nancy's family's, and but doesn't, you know, people in Charlottetown who are rich don't have a long history of handing out hundred thousand dollar checks for new Canadian musicals, right? <laughs> Just like nobody, nobody does really. But it's, Charlottetown's not the hotbed of it, and uh, but they did, and uh, so that gets us to our first season in uh, in in a little theater, and we pulled it all together. What I thought would happen. You talked about it being 10 years. What I thought would happen was that um, we would invite the nation and uh, the nation would scream with joy that this had been done <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it would be programmed everywhere and, uh, and we would get checks and people would stop me on the street and compliment me on my cleverness for doing this. <laughs> And anyway, it didn't happen that way. What happened was we ended up spending, like so many things, you know, John Lennon, life is what happens to you while you're making other plans. We, there was always another reason to keep going or a, a difficulty. And so we just twist and turns and twist and turns. And each year we didn't know we'd do it the next year or whether we'd do it in another place. Um, but then we'd have some accomplishments like a huge review in a Variety magazine or in Newsweek or in the Ottawa Citizen um, Samuel French started doing a pretty good job representing it. Island, Thousand Islands Playhouse. 
did it in 2007, mm-hmm. and it was their best-selling musical in the history of their 30-year 30-year uh, existence. And they, they, yeah, again in Akwe, yeah. And they brought it back the next year or something they never do. So that's quite a history. Yeah. It's a very long, uh, complicated history. Yeah, and there's lots sure. of pieces along the way. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. Uh, guys, do you have any questions for these two shepherds of Anne and Gilbert? <laughs> it is true that I was, um, I was in PEI and I, we had done a, uh, you know, I travel the country all the time and I have a little girl uh, who for the most part travels with me when I go on a long junket. And she was in the back seat and we had just done a drive from Nova Scotia to, anyway, it was complicated. She vomited. She had gastro and she was throwing up in the car and I didn't want to go to this show. And um, anyway, it was one of those shows that uh, Campbell kept, because uh, that's the doggedness of the producer, you know, and Campbell knew Sarah Stanley, who was with us. And Campbell said, you have to see it. You have to see it. The National Arts Center has to see the show. I was like, I'm so tired. I can't, oh. I can't, oh, and the baby, oh, and I can't, man. and the vomiting, and we were up nights with her, and because she was only two at the time, and um, man, it cheered me right up. Yeah. <laughs> it cheered me right up. So it was that, uh, but Campbell was so insistent that uh, that it gets seen. So so good on you, Campbell. That, uh that you really fought for it, and and he continues to fight for it. It's an okay. interesting sidebar to that. Before we go to the questions, yeah, yeah. is you wouldn't have seen it. If it wasn't for an error that I made, it was that I found after it was an error, but it was a significant error. We decided to program after some research some shows at 4 p.m., the theory being we wouldn't lose the people who want to be at the beach all day, but we wouldn't lose the people who uh, want to have an evening show, right? So to put it at that spot. And when I was talking to Sarah, actually, she said, you know, we just can't do it. We're doing auditions all day. We're seeing Evangeline at night. I said, what's your open spot? She said, well between about 3.30 and 7, you can go. So, <laughs> and those shows didn't sell very well, so you, that probably made it worse for you because all of a sudden there was an opening, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pretty no. amazing. But it was great. It really was great. Yeah. It was great to see. And, the, and they do it in this hall that's very small, a huge musical with like, mm-hmm. and people are really dancing on your lap, but not in a lap dancey way. In, oh, a, no. in a nice way. We but they're that. very, very close, but big musical numbers, and they're right next to you. Yeah. Doing it. It's a bit different in, in the big hall there. So any questions for, uh, for Nancy or Campbell? What do you see in the future for this? What do you see in the future for this, Campbell? For the show? Well, you know, the, there's always multiple answers to that. But the, go back to the beginning. The business idea, from my perspective, in the arts, and always being an arts management or a producer or a band manager, was... What do we have? As I said before, we have a, a brilliant application of a powerful brand name. And so for that reason, we went to get the world, worldwide rights. So what we produce in Charlottetown uh, survives by a hook and a crook each year. And sometimes it, it makes a little money. And maybe we get a little bit more and we start to make it stable. But it's complicated because we're doing a large equity musical in a small living room. What's the seat size there? 144 seats. 144. Yeah. It's an equity, mm-hmm. but we have five non-equity, and we're an F house, and you make all these things work. And everybody, part of how you make it work, I mean, you guys do this really well here, what I'm about to say. You have a, a great ethos of, of warmth and collegiality, and kind of I watch how you keep 
eyes on everybody and making sure everything's fine. In, in my view, it seems to... <laughs> Try our best. <laughs> yeah, it seems great. And wh- that's the steam that Anne and Gilbert runs on in those, in those tough circumstances because it's a joyous place to be, by and large. Mm-hmm. You put 40 people together, there's going to be one or two that are maybe need you know, a little more joy <laughs> to bring them up to the median joy, joy they like to have. The people with vomit in their cars, yeah. they need a break. But mm-hmm. by and large, that... So, so the future really is to be about licensing it to other productions and uh, to other theaters. Mm-hmm. That's the business model. Mm-hmm. It's very expensive to produce uh, independent professional equity musicals. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's almost bizarre that, that I that I do it, you know, because <laughs> there aren't many guys like me, like one guy mm-hmm. in a little place. And people ask me, "Are you going to do another guy one?" In a little place. <laughs> See, she's got the music in her heart. <laughs> Look, it's song in your a heart. Smile on your sordid face, <laughs> guy. So it's um, so like I, I don't think I'd ever do another one like this oh. because there isn't a lot of a lot of logic to it. it. It what gets it to you is a love of it, and then the way it evolved in terms of why I'm interested in it now is that. See, the first year was like, okay. Here's a project. We're going to do this. We're going to make some money. It'll work. We'll be proud we did it. Then when it turned into, in terms of what's our vision, what's our purpose. And then the people from Japan will come and love it. And well, we'll we're working on that too. I know, well, from the very beginning, remember the man <laughs> but, from Japan. But then it came to be something, you know, to have a, a purpose in the Canadian theater. What's our contribution? Well, our contribution, my contribution has come to be giving full birth to what I think can be an enduring, important Canadian piece of theater. And I often call this the 10-year workshop. Not many people get to have the ten-year workshop, you know. Not many people have. Not many people get to have the ten-day workshop, right? <laughs> I know. And uh, and it has just turned into that. And there's been debt problems on the way, and then we surface a bit out of it, and then there's problems with personnel and different things. And but it sort of keeps on marching along. And every time you take a close look at it, uh, you go the objective to try and stay to your question. The bigger objective is there aren't so many really enduring classic pieces of Canadian musical theater. That I'm now an advocate for after all this time. <laughs> and, and, and so if I have a goal, let's get it to cross that line where you don't even have to make the call anymore. People go, there's that great one sitting there. And, we'll do, we have to, and that hasn't happened. It's getting closer. Jillian has taken it 28 steps closer mm-hmm. by putting it in this theater and, and doing that amazing production. But... And, it's, and it also relates back to something that I think, I don't hear people say, but I think it's, or maybe they are saying it, and I just haven't seen it, that the significance of Lucy Ma Montgomery and Anna Green Gables is that she is arguably, probably definitively, the first great Canadian feminist. And Anna Green Gables is the great Canadian feminist novel. And... And so that in itself makes this amazing. But I haven't heard, have you heard people say that? No, no. Do you believe it? Uh, Yeah, yeah, (laughs) within the context of the the time, time, right? So, you know, there's, um, yeah, (laughs) you have to see it. (laughs) To know? Well, yeah, because it is. I mean, Lucy Montgomery was a fantastic feminist in that way. But um, 
But uh, uh, yeah, because, you know, there's a character who is 19 and, and wants to get married and have a baby right away. And there's a character who wants to go teach. And I think, why can't she go be an astronaut? Oh, right, because astronauts weren't around then. <laughs> so, so that's, uh, but I think she, yes, absolutely. For, yes, absolutely for the time. I'm, I'm really sorry we have to finish. Um, I'm just getting my signal that, that we're out. But thank you very much for coming. It was so great to uh, speak to you guys. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoy the show this evening or if you saw it last night that you enjoyed it last night. Thank you. <laughs> That's all for this edition of the Points of View podcast. Send us your comments and questions. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nac-cna.ca slash podcasts. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Points of View. If you'd like to stay in touch with news and updates on the NAC English Theatre, sign up for a free e-bulletin by visiting nac slash email alerts. You can also find us on Facebook. Become a fan of the NAC English Theatre on Facebook by entering NAC English Theatre into the search bar. Until next time, this is Sean Fitzpatrick saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.